received from God is finding action in us and moving out. I've been set free is a great song to sing, reflecting on the charity, the generosity that God has had towards us. Mercy is God's loving kindness finding action through us, not us sharing an ideal or giving a tithe to a nonprofit organization. Mercy is a personal action that we make. And Jesus is highlighting for the Pharisees and for us that there's a difference between supporting systems that do mercy and the personal action of mercy from me as a person. It's the difference between institutional mercy and individual mercy. The difference between supporting programs that administer charity from that of being a person who has a charitable heart. There's a big difference. After calling the Pharisees hypocrites, Jesus describes what may be the heart of the problem when it comes to their practice of their religion. Over time, Jewish leaders had developed a system of intricate details meant to protect people from accidentally breaking one of God's commands. It was building a gate around the command. And they poured intense energy into obeying the smallest details of these traditions and man-made rules. And at the same time, they were missing the point of the actual God-given law that they said had inspired their traditions. Though religious in their practice, they had become blind to the heart of God for his creation. So could the same thing be said about us? It is a lighter thing to say, I voted for such and such proposal, and that will help the vulnerable. That's light weight. It's weightier. It's a weightier thing to personally help someone in need, to open a bedroom in your home, or to set another seat at your dinner table. It is a lighter thing to say, all my ideals are on point and I'm woke, and I know which means to post on social media. It's a weightier thing to sign up to be a one-on-one mentor for Afghan families that are being resettled in Michigan. And you can do that if you go to my Facebook. (laughs) It's a lighter thing to make a tithe to the church so that the church can care for the poor and destitute. It's a weightier thing to stop in the course of your Saturday at Target and to actually ask the kid at the exit who's holding his sign what his name is, what the situation is, and if there's a way that you could meet an immediate need for him. Hear me, voting isn't bad. Tithing isn't bad. Supporting charitable organizations isn't bad. 
What is problematic is when we think by having done so that we have completed our Christian duty. It is possible to follow the letters of man-made law to the tiniest detail and to completely miss God's personal heart. Matthew 25. Read it when you get home. In Matthew 23, Jesus has access to information about these Pharisees that we don't as the readers. Their outer appearance is righteousness. But it hides their inner lives full of hypocrisy, and Jesus calls it out. Which for me highlighted this issue of personal moral responsibility. It can be misleading to think that tithing in some way absolves us of our personal moral responsibility to God's creation. Tithing is the lighter thing. Charity is the weightier thing. And Jesus says they've neglected these weightier things but they're the things that you should have done without neglecting the others. You should have done them both. It's almost like Jesus is saying, I never asked for your dill. I never asked to borrow cumin. Like, what good, what good, is, what good is it? We use it in our houses as air freshener. And you're more religious about giving dill and cumin to the church than you are about looking at your brother who's in need. As I was going through this text, it reminded me of one of my favorite holiday traditions, which is watching the Christmas Carol. It reminded me specifically of Ebenezer Scrooge. In that Dickens classic, Ebenezer Scrooge is visited by two portly men raising money for the poor. At this festive season of the year, Mr. Scrooge, said one of the gentlemen, taking up his pen, it is more than usually desirable that we should make some slight provision for the poor and destitute who suffer greatly at the present time. Many thousands are in want of common necessities. Hundreds of thousands are in want of common comfort, sir. Are there no prisons? Asked Scrooge. Plenty of prisons, said the gentleman, now laying down his pen. And the union workhouses, demanded Scrooge, are they still in operation? They are, still returned the gentleman. I wish I could say they were not. The treadmill and the poor law are in full vigor then, said Scrooge. Both very busy, sir. Oh, I was afraid from what you said at first that something had occurred to stop them in their useful course, said Scrooge. I'm very glad to hear it. Under the impression that they scarcely furnish Christian cheer of mind or body to the multitude, returned the gentleman, 
A few of us are endeavoring to raise a fund to buy the poor some meat and drink and means of warmth. We choose this time because it is a time of all others when want is keenly felt and abundance rejoices. What shall I put you down for? Nothing, Scrooge replied. You wish to remain anonymous. I wish to be left alone, said Scrooge. Since you ask me what I wish, gentlemen, that's my answer. I don't make merry myself at Christmas, and I can't afford to make idle people merry. I hope to support the establishments I've mentioned, and they cost me enough. And those who are badly off must go there. Many can't go there, and many would rather die. If they would rather die, said Scrooge, they had better do it and decrease the surplus population. Confronted with personal moral responsibility to care for the poor, Scrooge responds, are there no prisons? Are there no union workhouses? Is the treadmill and poor law in full vigor? I support these institutions. Scrooge basically says, I already tithe to the state. And the state is responsible for charity. Faced directly with people in need today, many of us could have a similar response. Is there no foster system? Are there no senior high-rises? Is there not a Section 8 voucher? Good luck finding a landlord that takes that. It isn't a far reach for us to consider that many of us have been just like these Pharisees. We will support agency after agency, but we will miss the poor and destitute child of God right in front of us. And Scrooge's words come back to haunt him. We have a roll the video for that. by the future, the child will die. 
I say to despair? If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, none other of my species will find him here. But if he is to die, then let him die and decrease the surplus population. So perhaps in the future you will hold your tongue until you have discovered what the surplus population is and where it is. It may well be that in the sight of heaven you are more worthless and less fit to live than millions like this poor man's child. Are you sure? of the human race. Look here, beneath my robe. Look upon these. What are they? They are your children. They are the children of all who walk the earth unseen. Their names are ignorance, and want, beware of them. For upon their brow is written the word doom. They spell the downfall of you and all who deny their existence. They're no refuge, no resource. Are there no workhouses? Are there no prisons? They live. Oh, they live. <clears throat> Can't go wrong with George C. Scott and uh, Michael Caine. They are hidden, but they live. The children, ignorance and want in Dickens' writing, represent the failings of a society that seeks to be progressive, but fails to meet the most basic needs of its most vulnerable citizen. It could also be said, ignorance and want are the failings of the Christian that thinks charity is the work of an organization or of the government and not the work of the individual follower that bears Christ's name. In Matthew Henry's commentary on Matthew 23, he, he stated, while these Pharisees would seem to be godly, they were neither sober nor righteous, we are really what we are inwardly. Outward motives may keep the outside clean while the inside is filthy. But if the heart and spirit be made new, there will be newness of life. 
here we must begin with ourselves. And this is the invitation today. If our heart and spirit be made new, there will be newness of life. And it must begin with ourselves. During our core value series, we proposed a new core value for your consideration. It was called Mending the World, that we are a church that values mending the world. And it reads, God's plan for the world is to make all things whole through Jesus. We join God's work to bring justice, reconciliation, mercy, and shalom upon the earth until Jesus returns in triumph. And I wanted to clarify that this isn't about joining the work of mending the world as an organization. This value is about being a person that is joining in God's work of mending the world. Because as individuals, when we participate in mending the world, we are transformed. The newness of life starts here. It must begin with ourselves. If our heart and our spirit be made new, there will be newness of life. And it must begin with ourselves. So, we want to discuss together how do you think the call to mercy applies to that list of issues that we made last Sunday. We made a list of discriminatory housing practices, access to food, um, the militarization of police, um, Afghan resettlement. Um, we made a list that involved, included access to education, um, the mental health of veterans and homeless. You see, justice and mercy hold hands. We did the last, last week we did the work to say what is God putting in front of us to catch our attention around issues of justice. And today we move into mercy, that God is looking to mend the world, not through our organization. Well, God's looking to mend the world through our organization. But God's looking to mend the world through you as an individual. But we must sign on for it. We have to say, okay, sign me up. Use my hands, use my skill set, use my resources, use whatever I bring to the table, Lord, to mend, to mend the world, and let that work start right here in me. The Pharisees weren't bad people. They were really, really good people. They just were missing God's heart. And I think that can be said 
of us. I'm a really, really good person. I'm, I'll list it for you. I'm a faithful husband. I'm a foster dad. I'm a pastor. I serve on the Oakland County Citizen Advisory Council that distributes $9 million to homeless services. I'm a really, really good person. I'm an Enneagram 2, which, which means I have zero boundaries. And I live for your approval. I'm a really good person, but here's the thing. I get super resentful. I get super bitter. And I get super tired. And my resentment and my loss of energy doesn't come out at the people who I am quote-unquote helping. It comes out at the people that I live with, those that are closest to me. And so when I read this idea, if our heart and our spirit be made new, there will be newness of life, I say, sign me up for that. <laughs> sign me up for that. Because I already have the other skill sets. I already have the other networks, the other resources. Sign me up for the newness of life. That's what I want. And I want it to start right here with me. And so I encourage you this morning, would you sign up for that? As we see injustice, as we see need, may we be moved to be merciful, to put God's loving kindness into action. And the question for us in this is how do I share the heart of God towards God's child right in front of me, right now? Because I'll tell you this, when I'm not in a healthy space, do you know what I do to the homeless person that's in front of me? I give them the number to an agency. Do you want to know why that's crap? Because they're not going to be able to get in touch with that agency. And I've gone through the system so many times that the agencies don't return phone calls. And the agencies don't have open beds. And the agencies aren't being motivated by charitable hearts of love. And so in that moment when that person is in front of me, it's my opportunity to represent God's charitable heart of love for them as a person. I may not have an answer. I may not be able to fix anything. But for me, giving them the number to an agency is a handoff. It's saying I'm too tired. I'm too jaded. I'm too resentful. I don't want to actually step in personally and treat this person as a human. I'm going to have them stand in line in an overcrowded system. Now, I have not given you permission to not tithe. Continue tithing. The church needs that. I've also not given you permission to not support nonprofits. You should do that. They're good, and they do good work. 
There's just not enough. Not enough of them. But to think of yourself as the resource that God is putting in front of that person in that moment, that's the challenge. And that there would be space in your heart, that there would be charity in your heart, and that that would have come from God, not something you were trying to muster up. And so I sign up for this, and I want to pray uh, for us as a community, as a church. So pray with me. Lord, we want to see your kingdom come, and we also, um, we also know the heaviness of need, and we know the heaviness of those who are isolated and remained nameless and are hidden. And so, God, I ask um, for eyes to see the hidden. And so, would you give us your eyes for your children? as we step out into this week, as we step out into these conversations, would you put faces and names and locations on our hearts that are on yours? And then God, would you fill us um, from the soles of our feet to the tops of our heads with your love for your children? And then I ask, Lord, that you would speak a word to us um, that we would know what action looks like and that we wouldn't be discouraged and we wouldn't be overwhelmed but that we would see very clear invitation of how you are asking us to step in and we ask for your kingdom to come and for your rule over us and we ask that our hearts and our spirits would be made new as individuals and then that that would bring renewal and bring revival to this church and to this city. And I ask God that you would bring newness of life and that you would start with me. And so we, we receive that from you, Lord. We receive your spirit. And we make ourselves available. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So we want to discuss this in our groups. And so if you would stand up from here, there's uh, five tables out there, and there's the conference table. And this is the, really the best time to process this information in this talk because it's fresh and there are people there who want to talk with you. So if you would stand up from here and go out into the lobby um, and find a table, the leaders will be there. They're all very nice. And they're looking forward to talking with you. Thank you.
Hello, everyone. We're going to do a online group right here, if you can hear me. This would be fun. Hang on, just give me one second here. We're wrapping up. I'm just going to move to someplace quieter. Ben, can you uh, turn that down? I can't try to do it. Here we This could be just a few online people. Okay. Sorry about the wait. Okay, so I have a couple questions here. Is everyone able to hear me okay? Okay. Um, so the first question that we wanted to open up with from the uh, a blast from the past from the Charles Dickens. So uh, Nate shared with us his favorite scene of that movie, but uh, wanted to see if all of you had a different part of that movie that uh, came to mind. That snowball and knocks his hat off and gets fired. Oh, Doug just said I'm we're trying to remember the uh, all of the parts of the movie. <laughs> we need to rewatch re it again. But he was talking about. Um, you want to say that again? Yeah, Bob Cratchit threw a snowball and knocked Scrooge's top hat off and got fired. Okay, <laughs> that was your that was that was his favorite part. Because uh, um, I would love to have picked up a snowball and hit him again. <laughs> I, you know, the only part that I remember, and I guess it's because it's the best part, was when um, um, Scrooge has a change of heart yeah. and everything changes, uh, you know, his whole disposition and um, the joy that he started to experience, you know, because he's, he began, he saw the light. He saw what was happening to this, this family and what... <laughs> You know, he's fired. He fires the, um, the the family. Yeah, and um, but he begins to see the hurt and the pain that this other that this family is experiencing, which he had never seen before. So, 
And, you know, it's interesting. <laughs> the, I'm always, I'm always thinking about, well, why is somebody like that? I mean, how is it that somebody has no ability to see the pain in, that another person is experiencing? It's because he experienced so much pain in his life, throughout his life. Hmm. Probably as, as a child, he was really pushed aside and, you know, he had a poor childhood too. So, uh, yeah, can't fix that. But, but then he, he did fix it. He fixed this self, himself by his future, his fixed. future. Yeah. His, his future fixed <laughs> the future angel. Yeah. That's tough. Yeah, I like that. That's a good point that everyone has a story and oftentimes mm-hmm. there's context for why people behave a certain way. And uh, yeah, in the Christmas Carol, we get to see a, a whole transformation, like, like you mentioned at the end, but uh, most of us are in some process towards that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, any other remembrances of uh, Christmas past? All right, we'll, we'll move on to the next question uh, that was prepared for us is, uh, is there a space in your life where you were able to exercise mercy or charity? Um, so what was that experience like and what did you learn from it? So any personal anecdotes of where you might have been able to, to put this into practice that you could share with the group? I mean, in terms of like um, forgiveness, offering offering true true forgiveness for a wrong, a perceived hurt or wrong, something like that, or um, you know where we where we had an opportunity to to reach out to somebody in need. Yeah, I think um, the way it was framed here, you know, mercy was you know not so much like punitive injustice, but more about charity. So like, you know, is there a time in your life where you've been able to extend charity uh, to someone? What did that feel like? Um, I can share. Sorry, I have kids. <laughs> um, so yeah, there was a summer we did like an, an intentional kind of like uh, mission five weeks or so in, in Detroit and um, they just made like a real emphasis on, uh, like learning about poverty and kind of the, yeah, even did like a cool kind of exercise to kind of understand their reality. And then, um, I think the thing that stood out most for me was, um, they did a big emphasis on like learning, yeah, somebody's name and, um, like, yeah, acknowledging them instead of just passing them by. And so I remember in our, like in our car, we would stop um, the car to anyone who was on the, on the side of the road, on the corners and um, like ask them their name. And um, yeah, if we had something for them, like we would see if they needed something and even some people from our group I didn't get an opportunity to some people from our group were like they were like well I'm hungry and so they like actually took them out to lunch and so I think just like um 
I don't know, like being willing to be interrupted, I think was something that kind of stood out to me is like, I'm so often I'm not willing to be interrupted, um, in like my day driving by, but for these people, it's like, it's their life and to feel seen and cared for and not just pass by. I think that just kind of stuck out to me. So I remember there was a season where I was in, like, I got to do that and was with a group of people doing that. I think that's something that is a good reminder to like, not forget about and probably to put back into practice. So that's something I'm thinking about. All right, thank you for sharing that, Madeline. Um, Yeah, anyone else have a story um, that they want to share Did that? Yeah, I have have a, a story. Just this last week, one of the things that I struggle so much with people that are so, you know, just um, challenged, they don't always know how to help. And recently, actually the last six months, I've been seeing this young girl walk down Catalpa, I don't know, two or three miles. Um, I don't know where she's going, but I've seen her at different spots on the road. So she obviously doesn't have a car and has somewhere to go that's a long way away. And I've been really um, bothered by it. And so I, I finally got the courage to pull over and ask her, um, you know, if I could help, because what I, I have an old car and I, I need to get rid of it. And I, I wanted to give this girl my car, which sounds crazy, but it's not that great of a car, <laughs> but it would get her from here to there. Uh-huh. And, um, but the challenge was, you know, I was afraid I was going to scare her. Um, and she didn't seem very scared, but she was very obviously, um, had some mental challenges and told me that she didn't have a driver's license. And so she couldn't drive. And I said, you know, do you plan on getting a driver's license? And she said, um, she has no way to do that. And I was just, I didn't expect that. And so what bothers me, you know, what I was so troubled by is I don't have, I didn't have the capacity to help her there. You know, I'm, I'm actually moving in three weeks, which is part of the reason I'm getting rid of my car. And I just felt, um, you know, I just felt helpless, you know? So I, I wished her well. And, um, you know, I, that, that was pretty much it. You know, I walked away and she went on down the road. Um, you know, so, you know, I love the idea of, of, you know, talking to people and um, learning their name and letting them know they're seen and that they're cared for. Um, but it just so often I feel like poverty, it, it's, it's so big. I just, okay. I feel helpless. You know, I, I feel like I can't help sometimes. But um, I don't know, this, it, it's just ironic. Yeah, this just happened the other day, actually. So, but, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Melanie. Yeah, it certainly can be once you encounter how complex problems are, Mm -hmm. it's uh, difficult to unravel. Um, So towards that, the next question that we had was kind of asking uh, or building off of a survey that I think was done last week where there was a list of uh, compiled of causes, initiatives, or um, spaces where um, mercy could be applied to. Um, 
that you may feel called into. Does anybody remember that list being generated? Were you in any of those groups? If not, I have, I can try to share it for you, but I guess maybe before I present that kind of prompt list, I'll try to get it up, but it, does anyone have something that came to mind in today's presentation uh, of a, a, a cause or an area or a space that they feel uh, called to invest in or be a part of? Yeah, I actually did. Um, so I thought like the whole foster care system, I think, because there's a lot of people in our church that have even stepped into that, which has been really cool. Um, but um, just with the reality of our life, we travel a lot, like the whole summers and stuff like that. So it, it would be challenging. But um, one thing that I was like, I think I could do is like people who do foster care, you have to be like certified um, by the foster care system to like babysit. So like they can't leave their kids with just anybody to watch them. So if they needed reprieve or help or support, like they can't do that unless you're like officially foster certified to do that. And so I was thinking, it's like, I should, I, I would like to do that so that I could like be a support to families who choose to foster. Um, and so, yeah, just to have that, like, like layer to be able to jump in when those opportunities present themselves. So that was something I was thinking about. That's good. Thanks for sharing. So assisting with the fostering process um, and you may not necessarily be a foster parent yourself, but you could participate in it. Okay, so the next question is kind of similar, but, you know, trying to get more at, oh, I'm sorry, Meredith has shared via text. Um, you folks can see that. Maybe I'll just read it real quickly. Um, Meredith says she lives in Hollywood Boulevard in LA. She tries to learn the names of neighbors living in the tents on the sidewalks. Um, finds it a growth experience herself. Many don't believe they... Uh, owe me their name and they don't want uh, someone meddling they see her as part of the problem so remembering it's a big problem letting other humans define their own needs is important um, yeah being sensitive to how you engage uh, something like that I think that's definitely part of the process I'm, I'm very I'm very moved um, and I'm concerned about um, suicide and suicide prevention. It's sort of part of my work. Um, I, you know, I still work a couple of days a week, and um, you know, of course, I work with people who are, you know, they're part of my work process. They, um, you know, they have insurance. They have to have insurance, <laughs> and uh, so I, I, I provide service for them. You know, as part of my work, but um, I'm so um, worried about you know, young people and youth and um, the despair that many experience. And, um, you know, beyond the work that I do, I don't know how to help them. <laughs> so, yeah, it is. It was, I could really relate to what Melanie was saying about this feeling of helplessness on our part when we do see the need out there. And, and it's, it's so huge. Where do we, 
begin. It's like a real, that's, that's really frustrating and frightening on our part, my part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those shares about uh, being overwhelmed, um, I think that's reasonable. And as you start to become aware, I think that's a pretty fair emotional response. Um, some of the next questions are kind of towards that. Like how do we, um, become smaller and more focused to find something that we can begin to grapple with. Um, so the next question is kind of more, and maybe some, some of you have already responded towards this, but um, does anyone have like a, a personal place of engagement that comes to mind? Like, you know, something more eminently practical, like uh, that you're involved with where, you kind of know um, how to do the next little thing. Could be even just a personal relationship that you know you have presence in already that you're a part of. Yeah, I think I want to like, I do know of a couple families who are fostering. One of my neighbors is one of them. And so um, I think even like what, what you guys are saying, Anne and Meredith, of like not assuming their needs, but asking their needs. And so I think that's like one step, even as the holidays approach, asking if there's any way like we could support them as they foster their kid. Um And then secondly, like I also said, I think there's like a process for becoming a certified sitter. And so I think even just reaching out to kind of ask about that process and kind of make it a time to kind of pursue that certification, whatever that might look like. It could be some small steps that could be helpful. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Um, That sounds like, you know, something that's already top of mind for you that you've been researching. Um, yeah, and so the last question is kind of towards that, like in, if you were gonna take a step towards enacting some of this in, uh, in as quickly as two days, you know, where is there a, uh, a next step that you could identify? Um, and so for Madeline, it sounds like, you know, working on that application process uh, would be something that's in your immediate grasp you know, and not too overwhelming. Although paperwork is always overwhelming. I mean. All right, anyone else have um, a, a super practical next step that you think you could take in the next two days that you want to share? For me, it's like even in my close friendships and um, uh, in my personal life and, you know, my family and whatever, um, you know, when I get super busy, I, I, I don't, um, I don't have the time or the energy to, um, you know, stop and really look at what's, what's going on with, you know, in their lives uh, and asking them if they're okay, if there's, you know, any, if they want to talk or whatever, um, you know, those kinds of things I think are important for me to keep doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just engaging a conversation or a dialogue with someone, um, it's always a great place to start. 
All right. Any last thoughts? Um, that's pretty much the, the round of questions that we were given to work through. But any final thoughts from anyone or anything that you'd like to share that wasn't directly covered in our survey? Well, I, we, you know, I wondered about the um, issue of the uh, uh, placing uh, or helping um, the Afghan refugees, that there, there was some mm -hmm. talk about that. And I'm just wondering if the church is going to be maybe um, organizing and, you know, I, I'd like to do something if I could um, within, you know, the limits that I have in terms of my time and my energy. But um, I just wondered if there was anything else, you know, going to be done through the church. Yeah, I don't know if it's going to be formally organized by Genesis, but certainly Nate is aware of it and involved, it sounds like, at some level. So at least as a promoter of the avenues to get involved. So he would be a good person to follow up with. And he's, I think he said he posted some stuff on his Facebook page about it. Uh, so if you have access to that, um, he might have some links provided of where you could get involved. Okay. All right, well, with that, um, thank you all for participating in the discussion time afterwards. Always great to have a moment to work through it and contribute, you know, what might have been in your, in your mind silently to be able to voice that. So thanks for your, your time and, and, uh, and sharing. Okay. Thanks for organizing us. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Right. Thank you. Bye-bye now.